It's time for the Retire ASAP podcast. Here's your host, Taylor Fike. Welcome to the Retire ASAP show, where our goal is to help you get free from work as soon as possible. My name is Taylor Fike, and I have my co-host here with me, Brad Fike. I feel like that's like a voicemail, like when you know when you call people and it says you've reached Brad Fike. Please speak after the beep or something along those lines. You've got mail. (laughs) He's much more enthusiastic, the AOL guy. I am. I'm just playing a game here today with you because, you know, it's just a crazy day around here. It really is. Well, welcome to summer, right? Uh, We got all kinds of things that we're juggling around. I'm sure you as a listener are doing the same thing. I know that uh, personally, which is just on topic for what we're doing today, my wife and I are moving into a new house, which has been quite time consuming. We've done a lot of painting and a lot of box picking up and putting down and then picking it up again and putting it down somewhere else. And then again, picking it up and putting it down. I feel like I do a lot of that. Um, I don't know about the rest of the crew did a lot of box moving. I filled a lot of holes in the walls. This is true. Uh, I believe your house was a pin cushion for some specific individual, and it was just thou- literally thousands of holes in the wall. When when you Very were small ones, yeah. When you were done filling holes, it looked like there was a paintball war, just white splatter all over the wall from all the different holes that we had filled. It was uh, it was something. I've never seen anything like it in my life. Well, we got it all painted and covered up. You'd never know it was a, it was that much work for you. No, and you know I'm 62, so I've never seen so many holes in a wall. That this is in a whole house, every room. In my whole life. This is public information now that you're telling the world how old you are. I'm young, 62. Although, I, you know, I did the telomere thing. You know what that is? Yeah, the telomere. Isn't that the, they take uh, your DNA. They measure the length of your D, uh, your chromosomes. Okay. And as you get older, they shrink. Right. So and, you can tell how old someone is based off of the length of their right. telomere, supposedly. So I'm older than what I am. Oh, did it say how much older? I look younger than I am, but I'm older. Than I am. I have a hard time believing that because I feel like when anybody ever hears that you're 62, they always go, well, how come his hair isn't super gray? They had me at 68. 68? Yeah, I think they're nuts. Well, I don't know. I, you know, it's not rock solid science, I don't Do think. Do I look like 68? Well, we're not going to go there. I, I think uh, I think I feel, that's a loaded question. There's days I feel like I'm 68. That's all I can say. <laughs> but anyhow, so I did the telomere thing because I just wanted to see, you know, for my future financial planning. This is true. Should I spend my money a little faster? Because well, if I'm, you know, if I'm eight years or six years older than I am now, then I might as well accelerate my spending habits. If, you're, if your biological age is older than your real age, is that... How do you say yes. your your Wait. telomere age? I don't know. If one's older than the other, you that gotta be, yeah. you, you gotta think differently. You know, if you were younger, then you go, man, I gotta save my money longer. I may be sixty two with my age on a clock, but my body says I'm fifty. That now that sounds like the the real gig. That's what you want. That's oh, the absolutely. result you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, I think I'm gonna lie on that little questionnaire and see if it goes the other way. There you go. There you go. I'm gonna do it again. See it's if like, you can. It's like forty bucks. See it's if you can bad. trick science out of their out of their wits. That's what I'm thinking. You know, your mom. Your mom's. If I die with a dollar in my pocket. I've mismanaged my money, and so I'm under a lot of pressure to make sure that we spend it before we die. And if I'm older than I think, then we got to accelerate spending. As the future uh, person to inherit some of that money, I, I don't know if I agree. I, I think you You'll should get a dollar and you split it with your. I sister. think you should have more than fifty cents a piece. Fifty cents a piece. Well, we'll figure something out, I guess. Well, a good part of that is Uncle Sam will not be knocking on your door. That's true. This is true. That's way below what he's interested in. So anyway, off of that tangent, we were talking about houses. And for these last uh, three or four episodes, that's what we've been talking about. We've been talking about real estate. 
And I thought, no better conversation to have today with our listeners than to talk a little bit about home buying. I'm fresh out of the the system of home buying and what it looks like today, and it's changed a lot over the last 20 to 30 years. You're fresh out of home buying not too long ago. You bought, uh, you sold your house and, and bought a place uh, two years ago, right? That's correct. So we're, we're pretty experienced in this stuff as of recently, and I'm just thinking- Professionals. Oh, professionals. We've talked not. to a few people just in the last, I don't know, five or six years who, when they're thinking about retirement, a lot of times what they're thinking about is downsizing. And part of that process is finding a place that they want to buy that's either a little bit nicer than what they have, or a little bit smaller, or a little bit less work, whatever it is. They're looking for something towards retirement. I know that I've talked to a lot of people my age in their mid to late 20s or even early 30s who are looking to either buy their first house or buy a long-term house. Like for Tori and I, we bought a fixer-upper when we were younger, and then now we've sold that and we're moving into a house that we're going to be in long-term. So this is kind of a topic for a lot of people. And right now, according to at least my real estate agent and the people that he's talking to, this type of stuff is booming. Millennials are desperate for houses. They've been, they're finding, you know, over the last 10 years in this bull market, they've gotten good jobs, solid jobs. They're saving up the money. And what they're looking to do is they're looking to settle down and find their house because they're, you know, in their late 20s, early 30s, they're getting married, starting to have families. So this is a timely conversation, whether it's for our retirees or for our younger people, this is something we want to talk about. And so what I want to talk about really is just touching base on a couple of things that we've learned in this process. And it's not by any means a full guide. And we may do a later episode. I don't know how later, but I, I have a friend who's a realtor, a uh, real sharp guy who understands how the market works and some things to think about when you're doing this. I'd love to interview him a little bit about it. But for now, we'll just go a little bit off of our experience on a few things that we've run into. So maybe talk a little bit about you, Brad, and, and your uh, buying experience. You know, this was two years ago when you were buying. What was the market like back then for you? Well, the market was hot two years ago. It was just, you know, it happened so quick. My wife puts the house was uh, sparkling out in the front. All the landscaping was looking really good. Put it on Facebook and two days later, we had a commitment from somebody that they wanted to buy it and we had nowhere to go. That's... So, that sounds about right. You know, I want to just you talked about two phases because there really is the mo- the younger generations want to buy that first house, and then sometimes it takes to the second house to get the one they want to hold on to for a long time. But then there's a whole nother phase, and that's the retirement age people that are in my group, sixty two to sixty five, that are going. Look, I've spent my whole life in this property. We had five acres, a pretty good sized house, five bedrooms. And you're just like, everybody's gone. There's us. So you want to downsize. So that's the other phase. There's really Mm -hmm. two different phases here. But what started me one day was, or not one day, but regularly, we were always working in that yard. We had a lot of trees Mm -hmm. and just seemed like there was always work to do. And every Saturday I'd be out there working in that yard and I'd hear these Harleys go by, vroom, vroom, down the road. I mean, we had a long driveway, but you could hear them out there, groups of them. And I used to think, how do they have time to ride those motorcycles around all day long on Saturday when I'm stuck here? I work all week, and I'm stuck here working in the yard. Mm-hmm. So that kind of got me started, and that was two years ago. So I was 60 years old, and I told Paula, I go, we, we need to think about this because I want free time on my weekends. You said you wanted to think about it, and then all of a sudden you sold your house in two days right yeah, after that, well, huh? my wife says I'm thinking about it. She just puts it right into action. Right. And I was kind of like a one-year plan. Let's think this through. I, you know, again, my fact-finding Mr. Fact-Finder, right. And the quick start of your mother uh, kicked in, and she won that battle. It all worked out grand. I mean, it's been awesome, and now I have freedom. 
Freedom on the weekends. I don't. I, we have two condos, one on Lake Erie and one in Worcester, a little loft. And so neither one of them do I have to worry about yard work or any of that. So I am now the Harley guy without a Harley. The Harley? Uh, I don't look like a Harley guy, but maybe I will start. I, I tell you what, I think you need the type of Harley that got those big handlebars. And I'm raising my hand. No one can see us here. But the <laughs> ones that go up over your head, you know, you got to straighten your arms. I can see you with one of those. The little leather tassels. Yeah, the ta- that looks just like you. That's. I'm I mean, kind of liking it. I like it. I, I don't know. Selling may- the boat, buying a Harley. I doubt that. So anyhow, going back to that, you know, that... That really, I think there's, and there's other people I've talked to clients and that have the same feeling, you know, when you get to this age, you start to go, I need to start in some free time. So to go back to, you know, back to where we were at two years ago, the market was just getting hot. It was started hot the maybe the year before, and I would say like 18. And then by 19, the market was hot. We looked, we put bids in, we got beat just as you have experienced this year. And we'll talk a little bit about that probably, but you know, it was a good experience. There was some things that I learned from it, and I think you learned some of the similar things. So maybe that's some stuff we should talk about. Yeah, well, absolutely. And I think your process was a little bit different, like you say, because you were in a different phase of life than I was. But you're, the same ideas still apply to in a hot market like right now. This is what realtors would call a seller's market. I mean, if you're selling a home, you have all the leverage because there's way more buyers than there is sellers. And what I'm finding or what I did find over the last year is that certain price ranges are even more competitive. And so if you're in in our area, at least in different parts of the country are in different places. So I've heard, you know, up and down the coastline that it's a buyer's market is what I've heard. And I don't know if that's true, but the houses are a little bit more expensive. And so there's a lot fewer buyers than there are sellers in those cases. Whereas in our area, you know, a little bit more rural, Midwestern area, it's the complete opposite. And so it's hot on the North Coast. Is it hot on the North Coast? There you go. There, well, that that makes sense. But so here, here's what what I learned. And we started, Tori and I started looking about a year ago. Um, it would have been last summer. It wasn't even a full year ago. It was probably last July is when we started even talking about it. And uh, we looked at a ton of houses. I'd say between just looking at pictures online and actually physically going to houses, we probably looked at 25 to 30 houses over that with serious consideration. We probably looked at hundreds of them and just went, nope, this isn't right. This isn't right. But at least 20 to 30 that we were serious saying, wow, these pictures or, you know, this is something we'd want to inquire about, or this is in the price range that we were looking for or whatever it was. It was really interesting. But what I ended up finding is we made offers over the last year. We've made offers on three different houses, the third one being the one that we just bought. But two houses before that, we made offers and we got outbid. We offered asking price on all those houses or above. The one house, we offered $10,000 more than the asking price and the uh, selling realtor came back to us and says, well, unfortunately, they didn't accept your offer. And we said, oh, really? Well, we offered 10... He says, well, unfortunately, you weren't even close to the best offer. So 10000 over wasn't even close to the best offer on a house. It's like, this is ridiculous. It's just crazy how competitive it was in our price range of what we were looking for. But we did learn a lot. I think I learned a lot because we were working with a younger realtor who is our age, who is also getting started and learning. But we were testing some different things. And I think some of the reason that we lost out on some of those bids is because we were we were trying some different stuff. We were going to say, okay, what if you know we got a little bit more creative on the mortgage side and tried to do some things where we were offering cash rather than having to be contingent on selling our 
previous house, different things like that. Uh, escalation protocols is one of them where we, you know, offered a scalable amount to the, there's just different types of things. And it was just such an interesting process that I knew nothing about prior to this. You know, when we bought our first house, it was a inside deal. We knew the owner, he didn't list it on the market. He helped us out by financing it for us. It was a really generous offer by him. And we made a deal really quick. Whereas this one, we did the more traditional route and it was uh, quite the experience, I must say. So here, let me throw this out here because I think uh, what I want to dive into is just probably three things, statements of things that I've learned. And then I want to hear your feedback on them, Brad, and see what what all comes out of this because I think uh, you may laugh at some of these. But uh, the first one here is, and this is something I wrote down, buying a house is always, and I underlined always about two or three times, always more expensive than you think it is. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your experience. Did you run into way more expenses than you thought you would? Well, um, I'm not sure about expenses. Our house was uh, furnished. Let's say our bigger condo was furnished and already remodeled several years before that. So we really didn't run into any costs there. However, to get to that level, we had to spend uh, uh, quite a bit more money than what I had in my mind. And, uh, of course, your mother had a you know a feeling that, that this is the one we want, and the price shouldn't be the issue. So uh, it was um, it was an experience. Yes, that the let's put it this way: my shoes were squeaking from tightness. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Oh, I think uh, I think I have a visual there of what you're talking about. But <laughs> I we ran into the same thing, and I think uh, you know my wife and you guys have heard her on a previous episode. She's really, really good about sticking to budgets. And I, I tease her a lot about that. And I always tease her about how I'm the penny pincher and, and she's the spender. But the reality is it's probably the opposite. I'm the spender and she's the penny pincher. But she's really good with budgets. And we had even talked about this when we were looking at you know home values and what kind of range we were in. We had to be very careful because we didn't want to be house poor. Um, and we didn't want to get into this place where we go, yeah, we have this beautiful home, but we can't go anywhere or do anything because we're spending all of our money on our monthly payments into our mortgage. And so I thought, okay, yeah, we're in this healthy range. We bought the house for a really, really good value for what we got. And it was actually on the lower end of our budget because I was thinking that potentially we'd be spending more. So I'm thinking we buy this house. We're in great shape. We're not going to have any issues budget-wise. All I can say is thank goodness we bought it on the lower end of the budget because I did not even take into consideration all the different pieces and parts of it. The closing costs that come with mortgage, those are expensive and you don't realize it. And there's only a few things that you can really, and we'll talk about this in my other uh, later here uh, in this episode, but there's only a few things that are negotiable. The rest of it's very much set in stone because you don't get to choose a whole lot of that. And then you have different things like furnishing for houses. And, you know, I gave Tori a budget, um, but there's only so much you can do with a budget. I mean, there's other things that pop up. Like uh, in this house, we we bought it. When we first looked at it, we said, oh, there's about three rooms that we want to paint. Well, it turns out we walk in there the first day that we get the keys and go, actually, we're going to have to paint this whole thing. And if we're going to do it in the time that we have in the contract, we need to hire somebody professional to keep it going really quick. And so there's money that goes out the window. And it's funny how it all works because I think uh, you've said this before. When it comes to a house, you're not talking about $50 here or $100 here. You're talking about hundreds of dollars here and there and maybe even thousands of dollars depending on what you're doing. Yeah, it's usually 500 almost every time or 1000 every time. Which is like, what in the world is this deal? Because it's like, I, I just need something simple. I don't want anything crazy. And then all of a sudden you get a bill and it's 500 or 700 or $1,200 and you're like, 
like, holy smokes, and that stuff adds up quick. Yes, it does, and uh, it never ends, actually. I mean, it'll slow down in the smaller costs now because now as you settle in week by week and month by month, you'll start getting nickel-dimed on little stuff. But you did it right. I mean, if you're going to, before you even move in, you had a week from the time you got the keys till you had to be in. Maybe not quite a week, but almost uh, six days, maybe something like that. But uh, we hammered that out and you had a lot of help, a lot of friends and family there. But you got to get it done and you want to do it before you move in because I'll tell you, once you move in, then you don't get it done because you go back to your busy life. It's not a priority. I'll fix that wood trim over there uh, someday, you know, soon. Uh, I'll paint that room later. It never does. So you got to get it done. Just hammer it out. Beat it, beat it, beat it. And then once you're done, you're good to go. And eat the expense and then move on. But to do that, you have to be really, really smart at the front end. And I don't claim that we were really, really smart at the front end. I think the house that we got made sense for us. But again, whenever you're looking at places, and I just had this conversation with one of my friends, and this wasn't even a client. We were just talking as friends, and he was telling me the budget of house he was looking for, and it was on the upper end of our budget. Um, And he was saying, you know, I'm looking for a house in this range, and I'm like, man, I just want to tell you, we were looking for a house in that range, and we got one on the lower range of our budget, and it's going to be just as expensive as I thought what the higher end was going to be. So I can only imagine, if you go with a higher end of your budget and you haven't thought out every single dollar and cent, you're going to run into some issues. You need to be very, very fiscally smart about this because there's expenses that you don't see coming, and you need to have that wiggle room. If you're going to go, say you want a house that's worth 250000 you need to make sure that you're going to be able to afford a $250,000 house mortgage on top of whatever your down payment is, all that stuff. But then any improvements that you want to make on the front end to make it livable, that adds up so fast. You need yeah. to be sure that you know what you're doing before you walk in the door. Yeah. And the 250 range, at least in this area, because I looked at a lot of houses with you mm-hmm. and the 250, these houses are, in my mind, what I would call uncapped or trashed they need right. a, you're gonna need to drop 30 to 50 grand on almost everyone we looked at you bought one at the right price and now when you're done you're still going to be on the low side of cost in it mm-hmm. compared to what the value that is compared to what i've seen on the marketplace right and that's the thing and, and i think that's the important part and i'll plug uh having a good realtor we had a great realtor his name was andrew uh, he he handled everything really well for us he was very very open-minded to what we were looking for, but he was also really strict. Uh, He had some really good experience behind him uh, with his offices that helped him make sure that we weren't getting into anything crazy. We looked at a few houses that were in the pictures. We said, these are awesome. We walked through with Andrew and turned around and walked right back out because he would say, this just, it's not worth the money you're going to put in it. Or he'd talk to the people in his office and they'd say, I wouldn't spend the money on this one. It's going to cost you way more than what you're going to get out of it. Yeah. And house buying is just like investing. So to put a little comparison there, you can't let the emotions get to you. Right. And, and car buying is another similar one because we look at, I remember you guys looking at your first couple of houses, you're like, oh, this is what we want. And I think uh, Tori's dad and I would sit back and go, look, you can't get caught up in the emotions. You got to look at the facts first. You got to look at the foundation, the grounding of whatever you're doing. Same with investing, same with the house. What's the foundation look like? And start working your way up through the house to the roof and all those things. And then once you know that, okay, yeah, you can get caught up in the emotions, but don't let that steer you. And I think that's what a lot of people do is they let the emotions steer them when it's buying a car or a house. And sometimes in investing, they get all wound up on the without doing their homework to understand what, what are the components here. 
We talk a lot about anxiety around retirement on this podcast. A ton about it. There's so much anxiety out there. Over half of Americans wonder if they're ever going to be able to retire. I'm going to ask you three questions, and you don't have to answer them to me out loud because you're listening to a recording, but I'm going to ask you three questions. Do you have enough to retire? When is it that you're going to retire? And how exactly are you going to go about doing it? If you don't have an answer to all three of those questions, you probably have some sort of anxiety or you've just given up hope completely on any sort of retirement. Here's what I want to do. I want to offer you an opportunity to get away from all of that, to get those questions answered. And that is our free Retire ASAP Toolkit. Sorry, I said free. We even mail it to you. We ship it to you for free. You don't pay a dollar. It gets to your house. This kit has all kinds of stuff and it has a book talks about how to overcome hurdles on your way to retirement. We have a checklist, the things that you may need to check the box on to make sure that you have everything organized for your retirement. We also have an audio CD in there that gives you some interesting strategies and ways to look at retirement for you. If you're interested in this Retire ASAP toolkit, all you got to do is click below. There's going to be a link if you're on desktop listening to this. If you're not on your desktop listening to this, you can go to fikeadvisors.com. And there will be a link on our website for you to sign up for your free toolkit. All you have to do is put in your name, your email address, and your actual address so we can mail this thing to you completely free of charge. That is our Retire ASAP Toolkit. You can get it at bikeadvisors.com. Or if you're on desktop, you can click the link below. Well, I do remember. I remember very clearly uh, the first couple houses that we looked at. Tori and I would go and we'd look at it first. And if we were really interested... Uh, then we'd have you and her dad come out and look with us too. And it was always that first time we looked, we'd be so excited and, and oh yeah, this is going to be great. And then we say, okay, well now we need to call Brad and Jamie, get them out here to take a look at it. And the second that we did that, it was always, we'd look at each other and go, they're just going to beat this thing down. It's not going to be good enough for them. We might as well not even get our hopes up. They're going to walk through it and we're going to wish that we never even spent our time walking through it because they're going to have all these things that are wrong with it. And rightfully so. We wanted you to do that because we want to make sure, like you say, our emotions aren't the one making the decision. We're making a good, logical, financial decision for us. But those first few, it was really disappointing because we walk in there we're like, oh, this is the one. Then you'd walk in there and you'd point out five or six different things that was going to add up to you know 15 to 20 grand that was going to cost us. And Jamie'd do the same thing. And we're like, well, I guess we don't want to drop another 30 grand on top of whatever we're spending on this house. So we'll just walk away from this one. But anyway, back to that point. And really just to summarize... Houses are more expensive than what the bottom line price looks like on the sale price. Absolutely. You have to add all that together. And that'll kind of tie into this next one. Um, You need to shop around for your closing costs on your mortgage. And so this is something that I wish I would have done a better job of uh, coming off of the end of this. I think we found the right company. Uh, We worked with a bank, uh, Westfield Bank locally, that helped us out with this stuff. But I wish I would have really done a little bit more research in the closing costs when it comes to the title company we use and, and how we're doing things on that end. Because I think we could have saved three, four, five hundred dollars in the big in the long run. Which, when you're looking at closing costs of five thousand dollars, three, four, five hundred dollars doesn't seem like very much. But at the same time, it does matter. You know, you're getting a home inspector that costs four hundred dollars. You're getting an appraisal that costs three hundred. You need to make sure that all those numbers are the best price possible. And if you can shop for them, make sure you do that. I agree. And when the markets are hot like they are in in the uh, residential world. The cost of those, the, everything goes up, you know, because they know there's a massive demand of buyers out there. And if they have a relationship or if you have a relationship with your bank, which most people go to the place that they do their banking, they can charge whatever they want. I mean, really, because it's a hot market. So you go, all right. And it, 
so first it's hot mm-hmm. and it's fast because if you don't jump on it, you don't get the bid win. Then, you know, you got to have your eggs in a row right now. And you don't have time to go out and shop, really, you think about it. Well, you're absolutely right. And I think maybe that's why I'm kind of kicking myself because I wish I would have had more time to do that. But you're right. When I walk in the house that we bought, we walked in the day it went on the market on Friday. We had to have an offer in by Friday night. And then they came back to us Saturday morning and said that we have a couple of offers at the exact same amount. Come back with your best offer. We're going to pick the best one out of whatever comes back on the second round. And so we went in Friday. This house was sold to us by Sunday evening. I mean, it was just two days. And we had to have our ducks in a row of having pre-approval and all that stuff with whoever we were using as a lender. Well, if that house would have popped up any sooner or any later, we wouldn't have been organized. You know, we wouldn't have had anything ready to go. And right. So, so in hindsight for you, would you recommend that somebody has done the shopping way ahead of time and really has whittled it down to one lender and committed to that lender so that you don't get caught up, you know, in that in some kind of weird pricing? Yeah, absolutely. I would. I would say, here's the thing. Don't buy a house when you're desperate to buy a house. Don't get yourself caught up into a thing where you now have a very short period of time. You know, I've talked to a couple of our friends uh, who are like, well, man, if I just list my house on the market right now, I bet you I could get it sold really quick and then we'll go find something. The problem with that is now you have no leverage in any negotiating, whether it's with the mortgage company, whether it's with, you know, the the person that you're going to buy from next, those types of things, you lose leverage when you have a when you have a deadline on your end. So do your shopping before you're even ready to go out and look at houses. I think that's the best way to do it because if in hindsight, we started looking at houses and when we found something, then I'd start having these conversations with the lender. What I would have done if I was smart is I would have had all these conversations with five or six different lenders, find the absolute best price, then make sure I'm committed to that bank or that you know mortgage company or whatever it is. I'm committed to that person and then have them ready to go when I'm ready to go rather than vice versa. What I had right. is I had two guys that I was talking to going back and forth with on stuff and it ended up being one had better price than the other, but I bet you I could have found even a better price than what I had, but I don't know because I didn't look at anything other than those two guys. Sure, yeah. So, you know, the closing cost thing is a big deal. And I say that too, because a part of all this, uh, you look at some of the other pieces of the puzzle is not only just the bank or the mortgage company that you're getting your, your loan through, but then who do you use as a title company, which is the attorney that does all the paper filing and makes sure that the money transfers and keeps, you know, everything all organized for you on that stuff. Every title company is different. There's some higher end ones and there's some, some cheaper ones. And so you got to find one that does quality work, but for a good price, we had two different title companies involved. We had a, one title company that was far more expensive on the sale of our house than the one that we used for the purchasing of the house that we're in now. In hindsight, again, I'd look at that and say, I would demand which title company that the buyers and sellers use. You know, I want to make sure that I'm getting the absolute best price. And those types of things, it it happens so quick. And this is something I learned really, really quickly too. Everything happens so quick that you feel like you don't have the power to make that decision, but you have to remember this is your money. It is your decision in the end. You don't, no one gets to tell you how to do something with your money. 
You have to be the one who says, look, I'm taking control of this. Yeah, my realtor says we need to get this done. Well, we're going to do it according to how I say, not according to what my realtor says. Or this couple that we're buying from, their realtor says, or their attorney says, we need to get things done. No, we're doing it the way that I want to because I'm going to get the absolute best price. You have to do that work on your own. Yeah, and I think in hindsight for you, that that is uh, an important step for anybody listening is uh, you do have a little bit more control. However, you got to do it ahead of time. Right. Because when you get caught in a bidding war and you got to make a quick decision on a Friday night, you're not going to have time to call anybody and, and do any of that. So you're right. Uh, as hindsight for you, yes. Yeah. So, and, and, and when I sold our uh, house, our house that we you kids grew up in, we had an agreement, no realtor involved there. So mm-hmm. I did shop the prices right. and uh, I ended up going to um, the attorney I use regularly and he gave me the best deal because he had a title company within his uh, law firm. So it does pay to shop. You can save thousands of dollars in a lot of cases. Right. And I think in the end, if I look at all this, uh, I think I ended up missing out by not doing the right title company, all these different things. I probably missed out on close to a thousand dollars. After Which I, isn't major, but it's still a thousand bucks. After I did all the math, I go, man, a thousand dollars is, and, and to me, I'm going, man, a thousand dollars is a lot of money. And as a financial advisor, I have to kick myself in the butt, going, I'm the kind of guy that needs to be getting the best financial deals because my clients, you know, they need to see that I know that I'm making my own good decisions. Well, I got myself in a rush, and that's what ended up happening to me. So, uh, you know, I can't do everything perfect, and I understand that. And my wife just laughs at me because she goes, "You're being way too hard on yourself." We we got a great deal in other places, and we probably saved way more than a thousand dollars by doing things and, and negotiating on other things that we did right. But it doesn't matter. I lose sleep over the stuff that I could have done or should have done. That's the stuff that bothers me the most when it comes to buying yeah. a house. So last piece before we wrap everything up, you know, we talk about closing costs, but the last piece that I want to talk about is the power of negotiating in your contract. So I think this is something you did really well, and I'd love for you to share with the listeners. When you guys looked at your condo, uh, the condo up on Lake Erie, you have one here in Worcester and one up on Lake Erie. The one up there, you went in swinging with your negotiations, and you put the seller on his heels. That's how it worked, and you had all the leverage in the battle. So talk, talk a little bit about that one. We were major league yeah, majorly. You really knew what you were. You were a professional. Well, it was a process of learning there. We started uh, looking. It took us uh, probably of serious shopping about a month. Uh, so, but we we put an offer on a place that we really loved, and we didn't really put any parameters to it. And that was on a Friday, and they showed it on a Saturday and a Sunday, and then they came back and said, "Well, your offer got." overbid this place needed a new roof a lot of remodeling and uh, I said I'm not gonna go any higher and so we lost that one and then the next one we our realtor took us to and she we went through it and you know once we figured out that wow this is awesome let's make an offer uh, for what the price they wanted but we knew it was a hot market mm-hmm. so uh, to her recommendation she said look you're gonna make an offer of we'll pay what you're asking for it no more showings. There were showings coming up on that weekend. This was a Thursday or a Friday, the following week, actually, and uh, from the last house. And this place had all these showings lined up for the weekend. So she said, you accept our offer as whatever you want for it, with the asking price, but you have till 6 p.m. to accept it today, and you have to cancel all future visits. That means nobody else could look at it. 
And uh, so about five o'clock, uh, they came back and said, deal. So we shut off all those future bidding possibilities that would have probably, we probably wouldn't have got it because it was that hot of them. It's that hot still. Right. So that was a, that was a really big key, helpful thing from our realtor. Yeah. And I think that's huge because I look in hindsight with our house because we got in a little bit of a bidding war. It wasn't a major one, which I feel very blessed about this one because no, the previous wasn't bad at all. It, it was only one more round of bidding because I'm gonna guess everyone offered asking price because that's what it was and it was a good deal. And then they came back and said, "Well, if there's three people that are offering asking, I bet you some of those people offer a little bit more." And but then they had me. They had the leverage on me as the seller. They could do whatever they wanted because I was the one who had to make the next move. I think the best part is, is if you can make the seller be the one that has to make the next move is key. Absolutely. And so you had the leverage because you said, look, I know exactly what you want for this. I'll give that to you, but you have to make a decision tonight as to whether or not you want it and you have to cut everybody else out. When you get yourselves in that position of uh, control of a negotiation like that, that's huge. And that happens in different parts of the contract. One of the things that we did, I think, that I was really happy with is we negotiated a lot of stuff after the offer was accepted with some of the things that came through on the home inspection. We negotiated different numbers for electrical work that needed done after the home inspection came back with a radon system that needed done, different things like that, where I felt that went really well on our end. And so here's what I would tell you as someone who may be potentially looking to buy a place, don't be afraid to negotiate for the best deal possible. I know that sometimes it feels like, and and my wife is the opposite of me, I think uh, I'm the kind of guy that would enjoy going to the car lot and you know going back and forth with a car salesman she's the kind of person that says if we miss this deal i'll be so upset and she was on edge about this whole house because she's thinking if we miss this deal we miss the opportunity it's something that we could have done i'll, I'll be really upset but the reality is you have a lot more power than you think you do in these negotiations and you need to take control of those negotiations or otherwise someone's going to take control of them and you're going to be the one who's on your heels being stuck in a corner having to make a decision that has, you know, between a rock and a hard place. It's going to be two bad decisions. You have to pick the, you know, the better of the two. It's just not going to be a good situation for you. Yeah, and do you rarely you rarely lose the deal by negotiating? Because if they say no, then you're still in the game. Now, unless you're a jerk about it right. and you make somebody really mad, then they're going to probably go, well, I'm not dealing with you anymore. But if you do it right, you know, being nice and just say, well, this is what I need done, this, this, and this, or it has to be this way. It doesn't mean the deal's over. Okay. Right. It's, you're just throwing it in their ball, their park. And once it's in their park, then they go, well, we don't want to do that or we do want to do it. But if they don't want to do it, they're going to say, no, they're not going to go. You're out. Right. So, you know, those are things you gotta, you gotta think through. And that's the, that's eliminating the emotion once again, in the buying process to the, here's the facts and figures and numbers. Now we're talking about numbers. We're not talking about the structure, but you still got to eliminate the emotion. And then once you get back, if they come back with no, then you go, okay, we still in or we still are, are we not? What do we want to do? Right. Yeah. And I think you're absolutely right. And I think Andrew told us this a lot, our realtor, he, he was very clear. He said, look, they're not going to walk away from this deal now. You know, they're going to look at this and they're going to gauge whether or not they want to do it, but they're not going to walk away. You know, they may say no, but at the very least, you know exactly where you stand on this. If you don't ask at all, you're definitely not going to get it. And so he reassured us many a times as we were thinking about this stuff. And I'm going, man, I think we need to do this. I think we need to do that. I think we need to ask for this, but I don't want them to walk away. He said, they're not, you know, they're way too far along in the process to walk away at this point. Now, early on with some of the bidding stuff, I wish we would have done what you did, but at the, but at the same time, you just have to take control of those negotiations. And 
this is just part of winning in those negotiations is being the one in control. And so right. those are really the three things I kind of learned along the way. I know that there's probably a lot more that has to do with buying a home and we're by no means home experts. And like I said, maybe in a future episode, what we'll do is we'll bring on some of our uh, friends in the real estate business who are experts in this um, and they can give a little bit of their insight. But I thought this might be helpful for some of you who are out there looking to maybe downsize in retirement or some of our younger listeners who are looking to buy their first house or or their long-term house or something along those lines. Just keep these things in mind. And while we're talking about a lot of these things, just know that we're here. Now, we don't buy and sell houses. We're not realtors. We're not licensed to do that stuff. But we're here as financial advisors. Sometimes it's nice to sit down with someone uh, that you know has an unbiased opinion on what you're looking at here and just get an outside perspective, an objective look at your situation. So if you're looking at potentially buying a house, you're wondering, man, do I have the, the numbers matched up? Are these things going to work out? We're here to help you with your financial plan. And that includes home buying in a lot of ways. So if you're looking for a financial advisor, you can always connect with us on our website. It's www.fikeadvisors.com. Some of you are actually listening on our website right now. And if you're on our website, there's a schedule now button in the top right corner. You can click that, automatically get you to our digital calendar where you can pick a time slot where we can do a 20 to 30 minute phone call. We just want to get to know you. It doesn't cost you a dime to do that. We want to get to know you, hear about your situation. And if we can help you, we'll take some next steps. And if we can't, we'll point you in the right direction to someone who can. So if you're looking for a financial advisor, we'd be happy to help you out with that type of stuff. But in the meantime, we're going to be starting a new series coming up here pretty soon. I don't know what we're talking about, though. Uh, that's going to, you know, to be determined. To How's be that? determined. That's good. I know that uh, what we're talking about, uh, and just to kind of give you guys a little picture of what's coming up here maybe at the end of the summer, is we're going to be having some more guest stars on here. Some of our local people in our area. Wait, that, whoa, whoa, whoa. What's oh, wrong with this star right here? <clears throat> um, am well, I, Am I getting, like, fired? This is news to Brad, guys. As a co-host, he's been wonderful, but, you know, <laughs> I, I heard complaints saying that Tori was better. Time for me to go. <laughs> we're not we're not kicking you out. No, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be including a, a couple of different people, some different perspectives, because what I'm finding is that some of the questions that we get from our podcast or some of the questions we're getting in our office, they're outside of our scope of expertise. We may know enough to be dangerous, but sometimes it helps to bring in some outside experts. So we're going to be doing that here on this podcast. And it won't be every one of our episodes, but you'll be hearing from some different voices. So hopefully you're looking forward to that, especially some of the ones here in the Worcester area that we know personally. I think there's going to be some really good wisdom to share from all different walks of life and that side of things. So um, in the meantime, you can always share our podcast with uh, people that you know, uh, and you can look at previous episodes if you go to our website, fikeadvisors.com, or if you subscribe to our podcast on Apple or Spotify or Google Play, you can go back to any old episodes and you'll get automatically get new episodes when they come out every every two weeks. We, well, it's not every two weeks. It's twice a month. So sometimes that falls on a five-week month and that gets a little goofed up. But twice a month, we have new episodes coming out. So definitely share those. And if you could rate and review our podcast on the uh, Apple Podcast app, that would be great. That helps us get a little bit of exposure there and give some people some feedback on what they're listening to. So we'll talk to you guys here soon in the next couple of weeks. And oh, Brad wants to say something else. And don't forget to flex your financial yoga. Oh boy. We are we are very in tune with flexing financial yoga, so don't forget to give us a call if you want to learn how to flex your financial yoga. Okay, How's I'll that? I'll let you talk to Brad about that. I have no idea what financial oh. yoga even looks like, but thanks guys for joining us this week and we'll talk to you guys real soon.
Investment advisory services provided by Fike Advisors, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Please consult a professional before taking any action. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.